Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. And I want you to turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 30. You know, Moses is, is getting very close to the end of his career. You know, he was a deliverer. I don't know how many of y'all have a career as a deliverer, but that was Moses' career. And, and God had called him to lead his people out of Israel, and he had brought them so far. He had brought them to the very edge of the Jordan River, to the edge of their promise. Their promise lay just on the other side of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go in and possess it, right? But Moses wanted to make very clear that in order for them to possess that land, it was not going to depend upon their abilities and their strengths. It was going to depend upon one choice, and that choice was choosing God himself, who is not just the source of life, but he is life itself. And I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 19. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And it says, see, I have set before you life and prosperity. Say that with me. Life and prosperity. Doesn't that sound good? I have set before you life and prosperity and death and adversity. How does that sound? That doesn't sound so good, does it? Verse 16 says, and then I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if, everybody say if, if your hearts turn away and you will not obey but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing the Jordan to enter it and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Let's pray. Father, I just pray today, God, that the Holy Spirit would would preach this message. Lord, I just open my mouth and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Let your word be clear, concise. And let this message resonate in our hearts this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And everybody said, amen. So God gives us the right to choose. We can choose to obey or disobey. Ultimately, though, we live and die with the choices that we make. Nobody can can make us do or not do anything that we don't want to do. You say, well, that's not true. You're forced to pay taxes. You don't have to pay taxes. You can suffer the consequences of it, but you don't have to do it. You know, well, you have to die. No, you don't. You can live forever, but you have a choice there too. See, nobody can make you choose to do anything that you don't want to do. That's, a, that's a, a, a wonderful gift, a blessing that God has given us. So we are free to choose, but we're not free from the consequences of our choices. You're free to choose, but you are not free to choose. You're not free from the consequences of your choices. Sir Isaac Newton had a, had a, had a principle, I believe, that was Sir Isaac Newton said that said for every action, there is an equal reaction. Every deed sows the seed. Every choice that we make has a consequence attached to it, whether good or bad. And we can choose life and prosperity, or we can choose death and adversity. The choice is ours. And and, and we choose that. We make those choices, whether deliberately or inadvertently. We make those choices. But all in all, every choice that we make is a deliberate choice. We can choose not to choose, but in choosing not to choose, we are chosen, right? So, Adam and Eve were given a choice. God told Adam and Eve that he was going to put them in the garden, beautiful thing. I mean, it was just gorgeous. And, and he put around them all of these exquisite, beautiful, exotic plants and everything else, and 
all of these beautiful animals and everything else. And, and, and God told them to be fruitful and multiply. He said, you know, tend the garden and, and enjoy the produce of it and everything. Just, you know, eat away and enjoy. I mean, they had it made. But there's one thing that he commanded them not to do. Y'all remember that? That one choice. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the center of the garden. And sometimes those choices that we face, we just can't help it because I, I, was, I was downstairs this morning in the, in, in, in the Purple Book study. By the way, if you're not in the Purple Book study, if you haven't done that, shame on you. When we get through with this cycle, you better get in on the next round if you haven't done it because you're missing out. I'm telling you, you're just missing out. It's good stuff. I mean, it's, it's good. It, it's, it's rich, but it's, it's very simple. It's, it's basic, but it's so good. But we were there, and we were, we were just, we were talking about it. I can't remember where I was going now, but we were talking about choices and, and things that, that we have to decide upon. But, you know, God has laid before us his word, and, and his word is rich, and it's full of promises. And every one of God's promises, he, he always fulfills. So we make the choice about whether we're going to listen to him or not. And, and choices have eternal consequences. Adam and Eve, back to Adam and Eve, you know, they made that choice to deliberately sin. And when they did, their, their choices had devastating consequences. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, where would we be this morning? I mean, we wouldn't be sick. There would be no sickness. There would be no sin. There would be no murder. There would be no deceit. There would be nothing because, you know, everything that they knew was good. They didn't know any evil. Everything God had placed before them says it is good. I mean, when he created, he said, that's good. And that's good. And that's good. We created man and woman. He said, that's very good. And, and so God had just put good stuff around them. And, the, and, the, and the, when they ate of the knowledge of, tree, of the tree of good and evil, when they ate of that, then immediately their eyes were open. They saw what for the first time? Evil. And their, their sin separated them from God. The first thing Adam and Eve did, all of a sudden the evil of fear came into their heart. And they feared God and they went and they hid themselves. There was a separation between them and God. And it took Jesus, on the other hand, being obedient to the Father and bridging the gap and putting us back in right relationship with him. But Jesus had to make the choice. In the Garden of Eden, Jesus faced that choice. Not in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, from one garden to the other. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus went to pray just before his crucifixion, before his he, he, was, he, was, he was taken by the Romans and crucified. Remember, he was praying in the garden, and he was on his knees. And what was his prayer? He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not you, my will, but your will be done. In other words, he knew that it was the plan of God for him to go to the cross. He didn't want to face it, but he was willing to. He had a choice. He chose it. Sometimes our choices are costly, but they're the right choice. What was the consequence of Jesus' choice? Thank God this morning we enjoy the consequences. We get to enjoy freedom from sin. He paid the debt that you and I owed. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He did it all because of his choice to go to the cross. He became willing, and he made that choice. King David had a choice. Most everybody in here, if you've ever been to Sunday school more than three times, have heard about David. David was a very famous individual. As he grew up as a shepherd boy, he killed a giant. He became a king. And when he became a king, he conquered everything around him. And so, you know, his boys were getting bored. And so every spring they would go out to do battle. They'd go look for a fight. And so it was the spring of the year when the kings go out to war. And so, so David sends his men out and, and, and he stays behind probably for the first time. You know, it was probably a silly choice on his part, but, I mean, he didn't have to fight, so he didn't. So he's up on the rooftop of his palace, and he looks down, and he sees a woman taking a bath, Bathsheba. What a name for a woman taking a bath. But he saw Bathsheba, very beautiful, very fair, but the wife of someone else. 
And if David would have had good sense or, or used good sense, he would have just turned away, went back in the palace, you know, probably got on his horse and went out and find his men and fight with them, you know, and get away from that situation, but he didn't. He kept looking. And eventually he made a choice. And he had Bathsheba brought to him. He committed adultery with her. And she got pregnant. And her husband, he didn't want him to find out. So, you know, he tried to trick him into sleeping with her. He wouldn't do it because he was an honorable man, blah, blah. And all these things, the scenario plays out. David's choice had horrible consequences. God had used David to build this great kingdom. And when David sinned, his sin brought division in his own house. His sin caused him to lose his son. His sin caused another man to die. His sin caused his baby infant to die. His sin caused separation between him and Absalom. His sin caused his son Amnon to commit adultery with, or to commit sin with his sister. And so on and on and on the story goes. And, and all of these things happen because David made a choice. You see how it happens? We make one choice, and then to cover the choice that we made here, we try to make another choice to cover this choice. And so within, it's it's a snowball effect. I said to somebody one time, and, and, uh, you know, it's true that adultery, somebody said one time that adultery is like tossing a, a pebble in a pond, and it's a wave effect. I said, no, it's more like tossing a boulder in a mud hole. It just destroys everything. And David found that out firsthand because of the choice that he made. The, the, you know, all of these, his anointing. He lost his anointing. He was the anointed one. And, and, we, and we read in, in Psalm 51, David's cry out to the Lord. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He, is, he had broken fellowship with God. He was separated from the presence of the Holy Spirit. That was the worst thing that David had to face. But it was caused by a choice, that single choice that he made, and it cost him. Every choice has a consequence, and consequences of those those choices are eternal. Joseph was another man who made a choice. Unlike David, when he was confronted with, with the temptation to commit adultery with another man's wife, he made the choice to run. To flee youthful lust. And when he started to run to get away from the situation, Potiphar's wife grabbed his robe and pulled it off of him. So he runs out of the house naked and she dressed him down before everybody else and screamed and said that this Hebrew slave has has tried to defile me and it cost Joseph to be tossed into prison. He lost the trust of Potiphar because of this woman's uh, accusations against him which were untrue. But Joseph had his integrity intact, and he made the choice to keep his integrity and to honor God. And I'd like to say that because of his choice, he didn't have to suffer anything, but that's not true. He was thrown in prison, but even in prison, his integrity raised him up. He wasn't in jail very long when the jailer found out he could trust Joseph, so he puts him in charge of the jail. How cool is that? I mean, the guy's locked up in jail and he gets the key. Puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. And while he's in jail, you know, there's a couple guys there that got in trouble with, with Pharaoh. And one of them was a baker and, and one of them was his cupbearer. And, and, and they both had dreams. And, you know, once, you see how the consequences of, of Joseph's choice and his integrity with God, he was able to interpret their dreams. And one of the interpretations of one's dream was that that Pharaoh is going to restore you to your place as the cupbearer. The dream for the baker wasn't so bad, wasn't so good because he said, you know, Pharaoh's going to take your head off. And he did. Both of the dreams came true. But when the, when the cupbearer was taken out of prison, the last thing Joseph said to him was, remember me. You know, put in a good word for me to the Pharaoh. Let him know that I'm in here. You know, I, I need some help getting out of here. And so he tells him he would, and so he goes, and he's restored. And, you know, like a lot of us, two years go by. He forgets about Joseph, that it was Joseph's interpretation of the dream that got him out of there. 
And so Joseph is in prison two more years. And finally, the Pharaoh has a dream. As a matter of fact, he had two of them. Two consecutive dreams where, you know, he has a dream with these really fat, sleek cattle out in the field. And, and while they're out in the field grazing, these ugly, gaunt, skinny little cows come up out of the Nile and they eat the fat cows. Eat them up and, and they don't get any fatter. They stay ugly and gaunt and sickly looking. And then he has another dream just like the other one, except there's, these, there's this, this stalk of wheat and, and it's got like these seven stalks on it and, and the beautiful stalks of wheat, you know, on this, on this head of, of wheat. And then all of a sudden, another ugly little scrawny looking shaft of wheat grows up and it eats the seven other good looking beautiful pieces of wheat and and so pharaoh is puzzled what's this all about so he you know he, he calls all of his wise men in and he says you know i had this dream matter of fact i had two of them and i don't, I don't know what they mean he says is there anybody here that can tell me what these dreams mean and they're like no we can't touch that i mean you know don't, 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 can't touch this and so they, they're like we can't we can't do anything with this and is there anybody in the kingdom and and all of a sudden, the cupbearer had a, had a memory jog. Oh, yeah. You remember when, when you got mad at me and the, and the baker and you put us in prison? You remember that? And Pharaoh's like, come on, yeah, what? What about it? Well, there was a, there was a Hebrew slave in there, a young man that uh, uh, was in touch with the gods. And, and he was able to, to tell me that you were going to restore me and you were going to kill the, the baker. And, and you did. He says, well, well, get him and bring him to me. So they got Joseph and they brought him to the king, to Pharaoh. And he, he was able to tell the Pharaoh his dreams. And because he could tell the Pharaoh his, his dreams, God elevated him to second in command over all the kingdom. And because of that, he was able to save his family and his nation. You see, the consequences of Joseph's choice to honor God and to put God first, even though it cost him on the front end, on the other end, he came out ahead. He came out ahead. Truth always wins out in the end. Our conse- the consequences that, of our choices, either good or bad, are long-lasting, and they're eternal. Nobody ever did or ever will escape the consequences of their choices. Choices made, whether good or bad, will follow you forever and affect everyone in your path in one way or another. You see, David's sin not only affected, it didn't just affect him, it affected Bathsheba, it affected their child, it affected her husband, Uriah, it affected his sons. It affected his daughter. It affected the kingdom. It affected everything. And so it is with us. When we make those choices, a lot of times we think, well, the consequences of my choices are only going to affect me. No, they don't. They affect everything around you. Your choices, the consequences, they're dire or they're good. So most choices are made selfishly without regard of their long-term effects. So before you choose, think about it. Think about it. You know, God gave us this thing between our ears for a purpose. Think. Think before you act. How many have ever opened up your mouth and, and, and your mouth was engaged long before your brain had a chance to catch up? Anybody ever done that? I've done it too much. You know, I, I've, I've, I've allowed this this tongue, and, and, and James says about the tongue, he says it's an unruly member set on fire by hell. And, and, it, and it does. And sometimes we don't think of the consequences of what we say, and we make foolish choices with our mouths. And that's why James says in James 2.19, be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Well, you know, a lot of times, if we would just hear somebody out before we open up our big mouth and give them an opportunity to speak, we wouldn't get angry so much. Make sense? My wife and I were yesterday, we were watching, uh, don't, I'm, I'm dating myself again, but, but uh, I, I, was a, I was a big Barney Fife fan. Y'all just have to forgive me. Uh, 
I, I love Don Knotts and and uh, and Andy Griffith. You know, I I don't really enjoy the Andy Griffith shows that didn't have Don Knotts in it. He just kind of made it. So we're watching a Don Knotts marathon yesterday, and we're watching the Reluctant a- Astronaut. Anybody ever seen that movie? Kind of a silly little thing, but it was funny. And and I noticed that his father, every time that he would try to talk to his father, his father would never listen to him. He'd just be talking to be like he was talking to thin air. His dad wouldn't listen. And, and he wanted to please his father. And, and the consequences of his trying to please his father is what put him on the spaceship to begin with. He didn't really want to, he wasn't, he didn't want to be an astronaut, but his dad wanted him to be, but he was reluctant. That's why they called him reluctant astronaut anyway. So anyway, we see, it just kind of reminded me of the consequences of not listening. And so that's why the Bible tells us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. So we can do twice as much listening as we do speaking. You know, counseling in itself, I, I, I love to counsel with people. I mean, I don't love it, love it, but I, I do it because it helps people, okay? And, and I, I do it to try to help people, but the art of counseling is 90% listening. Listening to people. Observing and helping people to hear themselves. That's what effective counseling is. And so... The consequences of that is to help people look at themselves and to make right choices. Choices are imperative. And the choices that we make, we'll live, we live and die with the choices that we make. It's kind of like the last words of a redneck. How hey, y'all watch this? You know, it's a choice. <laughs> choices made, whether good or bad, are going to follow you all of your life. There are things in our lives that are a matter of choosing. Forgiveness versus bitterness. You know, we can choose whether we're going to forgive somebody or we're going to carry that bitterness. And the choice of forgiveness sets us free. And the choosing of being bitter and angry at that person keeps us attached to them forever. We become their slave because it controls us. They don't know anything about it usually. You know, they don't know we're still bitter and angry with them. We carry that around. And, and, and you know, I, I've had people come up to me before and say, Pastor, I forgive you. And I'm like, okay. Can I ask you what for? You know, and, and, and it's good for people to be able to release that. And it's good to be forgiven. It's good to forgive. We make those choices. We, we choose whether we're going to be have self-control or lose our temper and be angry. The Bible says in Proverbs 25 that, that he that controls his spirit is stronger than he that rules over cities. And, and like a city without walls is a man without self-control. If we don't learn to control ourselves, then, then we open ourselves up for all kinds of things. So it's a choice. We choose. We choose. And sometimes it's just a matter of slowing down a little bit, take a deep breath, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Just listen, observe, take a chill pill. Just let the Holy Spirit Move in your life. Exercise self-control. So we make those decisions. We make choices about those things. We cannot control how someone else acts toward us and the choices that they make, can we? No, you can't. Any more than you can control the wind blowing. And they may be intentional. They may hurt you. But you can intentionally decide to forgive them and release your anger and the hurt that you have held inside toward them. And here's another thing. We have a choice about our associations, about those that that we become intimate friends with, you know. And and the Bible tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. What does that mean with the world system and those who, who ascribe to the things of the world? We are in the world. We're not of it. We don't think the same way the world does. You know, and, and, and so we cannot afford to allow the world to affect our thinking or the world system to affect the way that we think. If we do, we're in deep, deep trouble, especially now. 
But we have that choice. So how do we guard against that? First of all, Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So if we take the word of God and we put it inside of us, it creates a shield inside of us. So that when the thinking of the world and the ideology of the world and everything else tries to enter into us, there is a, a spiritual rejection of it inside of us. We don't, we don't ascribe to the idea. We just don't play. You know, like one person said, not my circus, not my monkeys. I'm not getting involved. You know, it's, I, I ascribe to something different. I, I follow what God says. So we live and we die with the choices that we make. And 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Do not bound, be bound together. And, and this doesn't just mean in marital relationships. Okay? I know we've heard that so much. You know, don't, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers in marriage. No. It means... Don't be in harmony. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? How much time do you spend around the saints of God? And how much time do you spend around those who are undermining your relationship with God and not really helping you to become all that you can be in Christ. How many are helping you on your journey toward holiness? Because the Bible says, holiness without no man shall see the Lord. Be holy as I am holy. How do we be holy? And how? what does it mean to be holy? Somebody help me out here. What does it mean? Set apart. Consecrated. God has consecrated you as a believer and set you apart. And the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. He's called us to live a life of holiness to God. Not just, you know, pastor, are you telling me that I can't be friends with unbelievers? I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you what your associations, your intimate relationships how far do you go? Well, we're in the world. We're not of it. You're called to be salt and light. You can't be salt and light if you just take it out. If you hide your, 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 your light under a bushel, you're called to be light. You're called to be salt, but you're called to be that represent, representative of Christ that I talked about last week, the ambassador that God has given you the ministry of. You, how, does a, how does an ambassador represent those that send him? In the authority and in the representation of that, that particular person. You're an envoy for them. And that's what we are for Christ. So we make a choice about our fellowship and those that we hang with. John, John Maxwell says that people will either be to you one of two things. They'll either be the wind in your sails. Or they'll be the anchor in your boat that holds you back. What you want them to be. There are people in your life that will keep you from being successful in things. They'll be the naysayers. They will be the ones that will poison relationships. They will be the ones who will, who will, will speak negative things to you and, and get you into a negative bent. And if you, if you listen to that, you know, what do they say about birds? Birds of a feather flock together. We become like those that we associate with. We become like-minded. See what I'm saying? And that's what Paul's talking about here. So he says, be careful about your relationships. Make sure that the choices that you make are good for you because you're the one that's going to have to live with them. Amen? Don't let others choose for you. You have to make the choice yourself. If we choose to go along with the crowd and do what everyone else is doing because it's the popular thing to do, then we're allowing others to choose for us, and that's a very dangerous thing to do. We are the ones who will have to live or die with the choices that we make. Am I making any sense? Either say amen or ouch. Our choices determine our destiny. Destiny is not a matter of chance. 
It's a matter of choice. It's not a thing to be waited for. It is a thing to be achieved. And that was said by William Jennings Bryan. And that's a wise statement. Our destiny is not a matter of chance. When I was a kid, there used to be a TV program came on. Again, I'm dating myself. I believe, I can't even remember who the person was now. But she sang this song, and I think the words went something like, Que sera, sera, what will be, will be. The Doris Day Show, yeah. Some of you are older than I am, so you know. See, I was just a kid. I, I barely remember it. Well, she was singing this song, and I never really understood what it meant till I, I looked it up in case the Sera, I think is like Latin for what will be, will be. It's like, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. You have no choice. But that's not true. We have choices. And the choices we make will affect our destiny. It will determine our destiny. Joshua. Joshua is one of my heroes. He led the people of Israel across the Jordan and to the promised land of, of Canaan to, to claim their inheritance. And, and Joshua had become an old man. He was 110 years old when he, when he was taken into glory. So here's old Joshua. And he's standing before the people of Israel. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord. And serve him with sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Now the people pledged to serve the Lord, Jehovah, and they did as long as Joshua was alive. But as soon as Joshua had died and his generation had passed on, they turned back to their idols and the things that they were worshiping before. They made the choice. We're living in the last days, folks, and and some have already made the choice. I've made my choice. I was speaking to someone the other day. I think it was in our life group, and we were talking about if, what if, the gun was put to your head and you were, had to make the choice as to whether to accept the mark of the beast or not. Because the way our society is, is going, and you can see it happening, with the indebtedness that our countries have and, and everything else, I mean, it's just like a divine setup that's happening right now. We're in dire straits, believe me. I mean, have you looked at our budget? Can y'all say trillion? Now, let me put this in perspective for you. If you took a billion dollars, dollar bills, and you stacked them up, one on top of the other, a billion dollars, do you know how far that stack would would go? It would go to the moon and back. That's one billion. Now, a trillion is 1,000 billion. So 1,000 times to the moon and back is 1 trillion. Multiply that times 18, and that's what our national debt is. Choices. Rather than choose to bite the bullet, rather than choose to be wise with our spending and those kind of things, we've made choices as a nation, and our politicians have made choices in order to, to... Please, those who put them in office and this kind of thing, they have made choices that has put this country where it is. One of the worst choices they ever made was in 1963 when there was a choice made that God no longer existed and need not be in the public arena. And they determined that it was illegal for us to pray in school. 1963. Up until 1963, America was a lender nation. That meant that we always had a reserve and we were able to give to other nations and help other nations. Up until 1963. That was the same year for the very first time that America had a national debt. And it has not stopped until then. You see the consequences of our choices nationally. The ramifications of that. 
the choices that our politicians have made that have put us, and not just our politicians, but the people who put the politicians in office have made the same choices because we are a democratic nation, which is a nation of the people, for the people, and by the people. And we have have also made the choice that we choose to trust in man rather than God. And right now, there is an affront to the very words that are on our currency in God we trust. They might as well take it off because it's not true. In the eyes of most of our people, there is no trust in God. We're trusting in ourselves. And ourselves don't have the strength to carry us through. We have choices to make. Joshua stood before the people and he said to them, choose you this day who you will serve. And and we have allowed ourselves to turn our backs on God and we've allowed our hearts to grow cold and we find ourselves in trouble and we're quick to blame others for it. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Baptists' fault. It's the Methodists' fault. It's the Catholics' fault. Whose fault is it? No, we have to claim personal responsibility for our own actions. Each one of us are going to stand before God and we're going to be judged for everything that we do, whether good or bad, as believers and unbelievers, believe me. For the unbeliever, they'll stand before the great white throne judgment of God and they will be judged for their resistance and because they rejected Christ. But for the believer, we will stand before the bema seat of Christ and we will be judged and rewarded accordingly for the things that we do while we're living in the flesh. And it's a fearful thing to think about as a believer. You know, Paul was ready. He was like, man, I am so ready for this. I am so ready. I know uh, what I'm going to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to hear. I know there's a crown of life waiting for me because I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I know what's in front of me. He wasn't afraid of death. You know, when we live our lives that way, we make the right choices. We can stand up and we can say that. We can say that. I've always said that when I die, if there is any kind of epitaph anywhere, I told my wife jokingly, kind of jokingly, that when I die, I want to be embalmed, sitting up with a big smile on my face. And I want to be taken out to the Avon Pier on Hatteras Island, And sat down in a chair at the end of the pier at the preacher's corner where I always like to fish. There's a little spot out there. The locals know where it's at. Bait it up, throw out my favorite fishing line, set it in my hands, and just leave me there. What a way to go. Now, wouldn't that be cool? I know it ain't going to happen, but it would be good if it could. Be my choice. Kind of morbid, right? I mean, could you imagine somebody coming up and says, shoot, man, you've been out here a long time. You stink, man. What kind of bait are you using? Wow. But choices. We make those choices. When I die, though, when I die, if there is an epitaph, if they were to put it out there on the pier right beside me, the preacher's corner, here sits a faithful man. Or if you put me in the ground and you put a little thing there. It don't have to be very big. Here lies a faithful man. Or if you had me cremated, put me in a little urn, just put it on the side. You can write it in marker if you want to. Here, here's a faithful man. Or he was. He's gone on to glory now, so it really doesn't matter. But that's what I'd like to be said about me. I'd like for it to be true, though. And if it can't be true, don't say it. But I want my choices to match up what my dying wish is is to be faithful to be counted faithful above everything else faithful to my my darling wife and my sons my grandchildren my church family my community faithful that's what I want to be that's that's my goal and 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 I know that in order for that to happen you know what it involves choices everything that I choose will either allow that to happen or not. 
Because if I make the right choices, my wife will probably just write on my urn or whatever it is or that little place in the backyard where she plants me. You dirty bum. No, she wouldn't do that. But I would deserve it if I made the wrong choices. She said, move along. So, we are free to choose, but you're not free from the consequences of your choices. Destiny is a name often given in retrospect to choices that had dramatic consequences. Wow. That was his destiny. You know, when I think of Ananias and Sapphira, and I'm almost done. Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, chapters 4 and 5. In chapter 4, we see that there was a man named Barnabas who had a field, and he sold and brought the proceeds to the, to the church. He brought them to the church and laid the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And you know, I don't know how much it was. I'm looking for that to happen for our building fund, you know. And he laid, laid it at the feet of the apostles. And it must have really pleased the apostles because Ananias and Sapphira collaborated together and they came up with this idea, why don't we sell off a piece of property? You know, and, and I don't know if it was part of their religious thinking or training or whatever. You know, maybe, Ananias, if you could really please the apostles that way, you might become a deacon or something or have some position in the church. So anyway, they collaborated. They come up with this idea to sell off a piece of property, and they did. And you know what else they did? They bought, brought part of the proceeds. They kept back part of it for themselves. They realized, you know, Sapphira, you know, we could take all of this there, but, you know, we've been wanting to take a vacation. You've been needing a new dress. So let's keep back part of this. You know, we might could go down to Jerusalem or something or go over to whatever. And so... They bought, brought part of the proceeds to the apostles, and they laid them at the feet of the apostles. And they were expecting applause from all the people, you know, for them bringing this wonderful gift in and everything else. But you know what Peter said? Ananias. His wife wasn't with him yet. Ananias. Why have you determined in your heart, with full knowledge of your wife, to lie to the Holy Spirit? You didn't, you're not lying to man, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. When you sold that piece of property, was it not in your power to keep it all or to bring part of the proceeds here and just be honest about it? But you chose to lie. Now, I was reading that this morning, and, and, and the, and the, or, or when I was preparing this, and, and I read it again this morning too, but anyway, it was just the idea that they thought that they could lie and get by with it that God wouldn't know. How many of us have made that choice to misrepresent at times in our own lives when we know that there's something that we have hidden deep inside of ourselves that we're not being honest about? And we lie to the preacher or we lie to somebody else if they ask you if everything's all right. And we are not lying to that individual. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. The consequences of their actions were dire. Ananias fell right there and died. And the young men took him out and they buried him. And his body hadn't even cooled off when his wife Sapphira comes in. And Peter says, Sapphira, I got a question for you. When you sold that property, did you bring all of the proceeds here or did you keep some of it back? She says, we brought it all. He says, why have you collaborated with your husband to lie to the Holy Spirit? The same young men that carried your husband out are waiting at the back door to carry you out too. And she fell down and died right there. I was telling someone the other day, I believe that Judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment is coming to America, but you know where it's coming first? It's coming to the house of God. Because we have misrepresented God and we have collaborated in our own minds and our own hearts 
And we have made choices and we have lied to the Holy Spirit and we have not lived up to the standard of holiness that God has called us to. And it's a very, 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 very serious thing. And God's calling us to a higher place. He's calling us to a place of holiness. When you finally, finally decide, when you have to make a choice and don't make it, that in itself is a choice. Billy Graham says, if you don't make a decision, then time will come. Then time will make it for you and time will always side against you. You see, every time that the Holy Spirit convicts us in our hearts and we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, we reject that wooing of the Holy Spirit and that inward whisper that God speaks to our heart. He speaks a little louder and if we reject it, pretty soon what happens is we no longer have that convicting power working within us because we've rejected God for so long. We become hard-hearted and stiff-necked. And the Holy Spirit can't deal with us anymore. So what then happens is that we're given over to a reprobate mind. You know what a reprobate mind is? A reprobate mind is one without a conscience. Where we no longer have a consciousness of sin because we have done things our own way for so long. And we've played the game for so long. And the word of God says that the spirit of God will not always strive with a man. And we have rejected and we've become hard-hearted and God at that point gives us over and what does it mean when he gives us over I believe it is this it's when God says okay if you want control of your own life have at it let's see how it goes how it goes for you and the consequences are terrible and the end result is always decay and death Our relationships fall apart. Our families fall apart. Our finances fall apart. Our very lives fall apart. And last but not least, our our health falls apart. And we die. Because the word is true. In Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived, okay? For God is not mocked. You can't mock God. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. For if we sow unto the flesh, we shall reap corruption. But if we sow unto the spirit, we reap unto life eternal. That's where it is. That's where the choices and the consequences of our choices begin and end. We are all faced with it choices. What do we choose? I call heaven and earth to testify against you this day that I set before you life and prosperity or death and adversity. You've got the choice to make. You've got the choice to make. You can either choose life, you can choose death. That's up to you. Totally up to you. God will not force you. See, he's given you a gift. He's given you a blessing to choose. But I want to be like Joshua, and I want to tell you this morning, my mind's already made up. I choose life. I choose God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the choice that we stand with. And as far as this house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord God. That's our choice. And I will live with the consequences of that gladly. Because I know God's word, God's word is true. He's not a liar. So what kind, what kind of choices are you going to make today? Would you bow your head? As Billy Graham said, we're called to make a choice. And if we reject the choice to accept Christ today or to follow him, the thing that will catch up with us is age. And as we get older, it becomes harder, more difficult. To humble ourselves because we've walked in pride for so long. But if we're willing today to humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves before him. The Bible says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. 
For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. And the devil will flee from you. See, those are choices that we make. The choice is, will I humble myself before God or will I resist God? And will I resist the Holy Spirit? Will I allow the Holy Spirit to touch me this morning and to say to him, I need help. I need God. I can't do it by myself. I need the grace of God in my life. And I am willing, Lord, to make the choices that are necessary to bring me to wholeness. If you're in that place this morning and you're confronted with that choice this morning, and I don't know what it is, I don't know what issue you have in your life, what you're facing, I don't know whether you've ever accepted Christ or not or whether you have and you've walked away from the things of the Lord, I don't know where you are this morning, I don't know if you've got issues in your life, I don't know if you've got pet sins that have turned into lions and are eating you alive, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you do and the Holy Spirit does, but you have a choice to make this morning. You can either walk out the same way you came in only worse because now you know and you're confronted with the choices that you make, but you've got a choice to make today. What are you going to do? Are you going to humble yourself before God? Are you going to get right with God and humble yourself before him and get rid of all the junk and all the things that you've been carrying around? And will you do what the word of God says, cast aside every weight and every hit, every sin that so easily besets you and entangles you? And will you run with patience the race that's set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith? If that's your choice today, I want you to stand up on your feet right now. If that's your choice and you say, I choose to follow Jesus, I want to lay aside all the stuff that's dragging me down and I want to get on with the program. That's my choice. I want to follow Jesus. I want him to be manifest in my life. I want to love him with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I don't want to let nothing to stand in the way of my relationship with him. That's my choice today. If that's your choice, would you just tell him so? God, I choose to follow you. I choose to lay in on You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.